worship in full color. Worship in full color. I want to once again welcome our visitors. We appreciate you coming out to Turning Point. Finally, we've got some winter weather. Amen. I got to burn the firewood that I bought a couple of months ago and was gathering mice and bugs. Now I can burn it. We really do love you. We appreciate you coming. And hope you feel at home. We pray God's blessing on you. And we hope you'll come back. John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to the... Now he's talking to the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Catch that. You can worship what you don't understand. And that's ignorant worship. You're worshiping what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. How many of you can say, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be able to say, we know what we worship. We know what we worship. Now Jesus predicts in verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Now He tells us about God. God is spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bones. He's not like you and me. He is pneuma, spirit. And those who worship Him must connect with Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Father, thank You for Your Word today. Bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, and I'm asking you, Lord, to transform this congregation into a worshiping people on a level that we have never known. Now, I want you to breathe a prayer to God and say, Lord, enhance my worship experience. Transform me into a worshiper like I've never known. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, I believe God heard that prayer. Now I want to read one more verse, Philippians 3.3. 3. Paul the Apostle says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. Now I can remember the first time that I ever saw worship. Many of you know that I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know anything about Jesus Christ until I was 16 years old. When I was 16 years old, I got in trouble for drugs, got thrown in the juvenile detention center on Harry Hines Boulevard. And while I was in there, somebody came and one of the guards came to my cell one eventful night and said, Jeff, you want to come down to the game room and hear some people talk about Christianity? And I never even, I didn't know what Christianity was. I said, what is that? I was raised in a totally uh, non-religious non-churched home. So I'd never heard the gospel. Believe it or not, 16 years old in Richardson, Texas, I had never heard the gospel. And so I heard the gospel that night, and there was about 50 of us guys in there, and uh, I heard the gospel that night. God the Holy Ghost convicted me, and I came forward and asked Jesus into my heart, 
and I got saved there in juvenile home. I was the only one in the group that came forward, and I found that the gospel was real, that the Word of God was real, that Jesus Christ was real, that He really does change your heart. We all need heart transplants. This is not a religion we've latched onto. It is a relationship that latched onto us. We are in a living, breathing, vital, pulsating, real relationship with God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that night I was saved. But I began to try to visit to uh, different churches, and when I would walk into these churches, it was like God's frozen chosen. It was three hymns, and you sit down, three points and a poem, couldn't tell you what they said. You walked out, and that was the church experience. But one night, a friend of mine came to my apartment and said, Hey, have you heard about the Jesus movement? All I knew was that Jesus had moved on me. And I said, what is that? And he said, we're going to go to a Bible study tonight. I want you to come with me. So he came and picked me up that night, and we drove to a house. It was just a house in South Dallas, two-story wooden house. We walked in, and for the first time, I saw real worship happening. There gathered in a group, about 60, 70 long-haired ex-hippies like me. When I walked in, my hair was down to here, parted down the middle. You wouldn't own me if you'd have seen me. I was 130 pounds, six foot one, soaking wet. I looked like a Bangladesh refugee. And, but I went in there, and, and, and here I see these young people with their hands lifted up, looking at somebody that wasn't there, Tears streaming down their faces. They weren't singing about him. They were singing to him. And I'd never seen this before, and I got just leveled by the presence of the Holy Spirit in that place. I saw them worshiping God. They were in love with Jesus. That was my first experience with worship. And right there, I said, God, if I can have what they have, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll obey you. But I want what they have. And while I was standing there, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, touched me in a way that I'd never experienced in my life. It was like wave after wave of liquid love poured on me, cascaded down upon me until I was speechless. I walked out into the front yard of this house and I literally had to look up and say, God, if you don't stop, I will die. <laughs> and that was just the beginning. Can I tell you today that Jesus is more real than the chair you're sitting in? Jesus is more real than this floor, more real than this building, more real than the person sitting next to you. Jesus is so real, and he manifests himself by the power of the Holy Ghost, but he often chooses the medium of worship. The Holy Spirit was so present in that place that night because worship was taking place and God has already said, I inhabit, I live in, I pitch tent in, I build my house in, I dwell amongst the praises of my people. So we don't come in here just to sing about Him. We come in here with ulterior motives. We come in here to sing to Him because we want to see Him manifested among us. We want to be a worshiping, praising church. Now, 
I don't know how much of a worshiper you are. You might have come in here today and have never seen people lift their hands to God. And we're not saying that you've got to lift your hands to God. But it might be a little bit different for you to be in a place where there is demonstrative praise taking place. Get used to it because when you go to heaven, it's going to get worse. Now, worship. The word worship, what does it mean? Matter of fact, I'm preaching this on worship because I have made up my mind that this year I'm going to teach and preach messages that if we will do them, we're going to be on a spiritual level that is hot by the end of 2006. We don't have time to mess around. The hour is short. Jesus is about to come back. We can't afford to be lukewarm where he wants to spew us out of his mouth. Be either hot or cold. Well, I've decided I want to be hot, and I want you to be hot, and I want us to be hot together. So the word worship, worship, what does it mean when you say worship? When Jesus said he, God is looking for worshipers. It means to pay homage, to show reverence, to bow down. It comes from a Greek word called proskuneo. Now that's an interesting word, proskuneo, because pros means toward or facing. And kaneo means to kiss. So literally, when you worship God, you are facing Him with a kiss. Come on, everybody. So let's just do something right here today. We're going to have, we're going we're gonna to really do shop here. Let's, let's do the real thing. Lift your hands a little bit and just say, I worship you, Lord. Just go ahead and do it. I worship you, Lord. Now, you know what God just got? He just got a great big kiss. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible says, some of you are going, wow. Mildred, you didn't tell me we were going to come in here and kiss God. Yeah, that's what worship is. That's why he inhabits the praise of his people. What do you do when your children come and kiss you? You reach out and you hug them and kiss them back. That's God. He is reciprocal. Worship him and he touches you in return. The Bible says that we were made to worship God. The Lord is pleased only with those, the Bible says, who worship him and trust his love. Jesus said the Father is seeking worshipers. Now that's amazing to me, that Almighty God who flung the stars into space, who scooped out the oceans, who said, let there be, and there was light and birds and mammals and human beings, that He's searching something, looking for something, seeking something. The Bible says two things, to seek and to save that which was lost, and He is seeking those who will worship Him, who will adore Him who will love Him. Worship is a demonstration of adoration towards God. Jesus said to the woman at the well, now notice this, that the hour was coming. He said to this woman at the well who had had five husbands and the one she was living with then was not her husband. She was living in fornication. Jesus looked at her and said, I'm telling you, woman, the hour is coming that you're not going to worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The hour is coming when you're going to worship in spirit and truth. Now she knew exactly what he was saying because the Gentiles believed that they should worship in Gerizim, 
where the old temple lay in ruins. Jesus could see those ruins from the well where he was talking to her. The Jews believed they should worship in Jerusalem in the temple. But Jesus said, and I want us to hear this today because many of us think just like this woman. I'm to go to a place to worship at a time. And that's when I worship. Jesus said the place where you worship soon won't matter. The place soon won't matter. The real issue is about to become not where you worship, but how you worship, whether it's true, authentic worship from the heart is what is about to matter, not the place. Then Jesus said that genuine worship would be made up of two things, worship in spirit and worship in the truth. Worship in spirit. The day is coming when true worshipers, real ones, authentic ones, genuine people who are worshiping me genuinely, authentically, truly, will worship in the spirit and worship in the truth. Now, what did he mean by worship in spirit? What in the world does that mean? That sounds sort of ethereal to me. What does worship in the spirit mean? The word spirit there was not referring to the Holy Spirit, but to the spirit of man, the inner being, the heart of people. Jesus was saying, here's how worship is about to change. It's no longer going to be mechanical, ritualistic, robotic, but real worship, those who are genuine and authentic, are going to worship the Father from their spirits, from their hearts, from genuine emotion, from genuine love, from genuine adoration. Ezekiel said the day is coming when God is going to give you a new heart. He's going to take out the stony heart and He's going to give you a brand new heart. And that heart is going to be in love with God. That heart is going to have genuine adoration to God. That heart is going to lift itself up in thanksgiving for the fact that the Redeemer has saved it from its sin. That heart is going to look up and say, having not seen Him, yet I love Him. I don't have to see Him. I don't have to touch Him. He has touched me by the power of the Holy Ghost and I'm going to worship Him from my spirit, from my heart, genuinely, authentically, not fake. Oh, I've seen people and you've all seen people who worshiped robotically, mechanically. They don't worship. They do sing their three hymns and sit down. And I'm not condemning them because until you're introduced to the real thing, the Bible says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Until you give a dog a T-bone steak, he'll chew the bone. And I'm telling you folks, there's a lot of people chewing a bone and God is offering us a T-bone steak. And it's in the presence of worship and in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. True worship flows from the heart. A heart touched by grace that lifts itself up with thanksgiving and adoration to the living God. Authentic worship is a demonstration of adoration, not habitual ritual. When Jesus told the woman at the well that very soon the place or the context in which worship took place was about to change, he was predicting 
the end of meaningless ritual where the heart was not involved. Don't you know that God hates that? The daily offerings, the annual feasts like the Passover, the daily sacrifices were being done away with because it was purely mechanical. There was no heart in it, no passion, no feeling, no emotion, nothing real. God seemed a million miles away. At a particular time, you went into the temple. You offered the same offering you'd offered so many times before. Trapped in the hamster's wheel of meaningless, humdrum, empty, ritualistic religion. The reality of God wasn't there. Just like so many people go to church in our day. They get up and wonder why they're going. While they're sitting in church, they wonder why they're there. When they leave, they wonder why they went. Because it's ritual. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great today. Oh, that dress is so pretty. Oh, thank you. I know I'm lying. You know you're lying. We'll all lie. We'll sit in church and lie. Good to see you. But really, I really didn't want to see you at all. Got a grudge against you. Don't like you. I'm resentful of you. And that preacher, he's not cutting the mustard either. We sing standing on the promises. All we're doing is sitting on the premises. God's not real in our everyday life. He's not real when we get up. He's not real when we go to work. He's not real in rush hour traffic. He's not real in our relationships because we have been caught up in the trap of ritualistic, dead, meaningless, robotic religion. And it's a trap. It's a trap. It's an insidious trap because it's a form of godliness, but there's no power in it. It looks right, feels right, seems right, but it's all form, pomp, and splendor. There's nothing real of God in it. People aren't getting set free. They aren't being delivered. They aren't getting their hearts touched by the Spirit of God. We need a, a, a revival of the real thing where religion goes out the back door and relationship with God comes in and we worship Him. Really and authentically and truly. The people of Isaiah's day were stuck in the monotonous cul-de-sac of empty ritual. You ever been stuck in a cul-de-sac? If you get stuck in one, come and tell me. You ought to figure it out first time around. This is a cul-de-sac. But when it's ritualistic religion, we're stuck in the cul-de-sac and don't even know that it's a cul-de-sac. Haven't I seen this before? Haven't I done this before? Haven't I been around those bushes before? This all looks the same to me. Can I tell you that a walk with God is not perpetual sameness, but it is wonderful, splendid variety and surprises I has not seen, nor has ear heard, neither has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. He's a God of surprises. Jesus said, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And sometimes the people whose hearts are far from him don't even know it because this is the best they've ever known. Form, ritual, mechanical religion. Now, Valentine's Day, let me just make it real simple for you. Valentine's Day is two days away. Did you know that, guys? You can thank God you came to church today if you didn't know that and you just heard that from me. 
Can you imagine what the condition of your marriage would be in if Valentine's Day was the only day in the year you told your spouse you love them? If that's you, don't even raise your hand or look at me. You're already in trouble. Can you imagine if here you are in a relationship and the only time your spouse is told that you love them is on Valentine's Day? Why would that bother you? Why would that matter? Because it, if that was the only day you showed your mate affection, it would be meaningless words to them based on ritual, not genuine words from your heart. How many of you guys have ever been to the drugstore or to a, a supermarket? on Valentine's Day at 6 in the morning and seeing how packed it is with men in the card section. All of them sweating. Boy, bless God I got here before she woke up. And they're grabbing cards and they're signing them and they're getting the flowers and running out. And I know what they're thinking. They're going to put them on the shelf, all duded up, flowers and cards, run and jump back into bed and act like they did it after she went to sleep the night before. But no, you snuck out that morning. You rascal, because I saw you, because I was there once. <laughs> now think about this for a minute. How about your children? What would you think about your children if every Sunday at 10 o'clock they came to you and said, Daddy, I love you. Oh, bless you, sweetheart. I love you too. But then the next Sunday, same thing, 10 o'clock. Daddy, I love you. Then the next Sunday, Daddy, I love you. After a while, Dad, you would get grieved and you'd want to know, how come you only tell me on Sunday at 10 o'clock that you love me? I wish you'd pop up on a Tuesday night or a Thursday morning or some other unexpected time and tell me, what is wrong with you? I'm stuck in ritual. I really don't mean what I'm saying. I need to reconnect with you, Dad. Kathy wants me to tell her I love her in the morning. She wants me to tell her I love her in the evening. She wants me to tell her I love her at lunchtime. She wants me to tell her in the in-between times. Now, guys, I'm going to save you counseling fees right now. Listen to me. She really likes it if I call when she's at work and leave a message saying, I love you, thinking about you, hope everything's going okay. That really means a lot because that's not Sunday morning at 10. That's not ritualistic. It flows out of what is between us. Now I'm drawing a metaphor, a picture, an illustration. I hope you get it. If the only time I told her was Valentine's Day, our marriage is dead. That dog won't hunt. Adoration and worship and affection flows out of what is there. So what does that say about so many churches where there's no real worship? Bless their hearts. They need to get plugged in to God. And I mean that with all of my heart. I'm not being condescending. We've all been there. Yesterday I read the church ads. Just reading the church ads. Here's what they said. Worship service from 10 to 11. Come worship with us. House of worship. Special worship service. Well, pastor, what in the world's wrong with that? Does the New Testament ever speak of a worship service or does it ever speak of going to worship? 
Sure it does. Sure it does. Sure it does. It has to, because we've always done that. Has it occurred to you that a lot of the things the church has done through the years has not been scriptural? It doesn't say one single word about performing a Sunday a.m. ritual called a worship service. Now, don't get me wrong, and don't let Pastor Steve here feel threatened. I believe in coming together and worshiping God, but I'm trying to make a point. When the Bible says that we're to meet together, he says we're instructed to meet together to exhort one another to love and to good works. We're to come together for mutual edification, to encourage, to admonish, to edify and exhort one another, but never to perform public acts which we call worship. You can't show me the chapter or the verse. Why would that be? Because the New Testament assumes believers always worshiping. Oh, Come on, church. The New Testament assumes that before we got to church that day, we woke up and said, good morning, Lord, and we worship. Not good, Lord, it's morning and it's church day. <laughs> the New Testament assumes that we are in a continual, ongoing worship session in our own individual lives, and I don't have to have somebody up here playing a guitar, trying to kick me into worship, I should come in here overflowing from what has happened all week long between me and God. You know, or how does God feel? Oh, it's 10 o'clock Sunday morning. Hey, Dad, love you. Where were you Monday? Where were you Tuesday? Where were you Wednesday? Where were you Thursday and Friday? Oh, well, this is worship time. And that's what bothers me about those ads. Because every day is worship time. Every day in the life God gives us is worship time. We ought to remember to worship God continually. That's why he doesn't talk about a worship service in the New Testament because he assumes we're doing this on Monday, doing this on Tuesday. Thank you, Lord, on Wednesday. Praise you, Lord, on Thursday. I worship you, Father, on Friday. I bless you on Saturday. I'm going to go to church Sunday with an overflow because I'm full of the Holy Ghost because I've been worshiping God all week long. We are to worship God. I want you to say it with me. We are to worship God continually. David the psalmist didn't even have the new covenant blood, didn't have the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the Bible. But listen to David. Worship him continually. Praise him from sunrise to sunset. And yet we come in here and we'll worship and some people walk out and say, well, you know, Steve just didn't crank me today. I didn't get much out of worship today. Ah, those songs, we've sung them a hundred times before. As if from 10 to 11 is the only time all week we've got to practice this thing called worship. Pastor Jeff, it's called the worship hour. Listen to David, I will thank the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, continually, continually be in my mouth. Continually. David, you're sounding fanatical to me. I think you've lost your mind. I think this religion thing has gone to your head. You're fanatical. Well, how many of you watched the Super Bowl last week? How many of you saw some fanatics in that crowd? 
I saw them with their shirts off, painted every color under the book, blue hair, green hair, yellow hair, the color of their team. They screamed, they yelled, they went hoarse, they were in freezing weather, they didn't care because that was their team and they were fanatical about their team. The ones who didn't win walked away depressed, down, despondent, as if they had just lost their best friend. My friend, listen, if your life and the joy in your life rides on the results of somebody carrying a pigskin from one end of a field to another, come down here. I'm going to cast it out of you today. If we can do that with a football game, then can't we get up on a Monday morning and let His praise continually be in our mouth? You'd be amazed at how the presence of God will envelop you if you just get up and praise God. David said, I will praise God's name in song and glorify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord. So we're to worship God continually. And you know what? You're going to have to tell yourself to do it. You're going to have to tell yourself to do it. And after a while, it will be an overflow of the Spirit-filled life. Philippians 3, 3 again, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Now listen to what he said to believers. I want to know, how many of you are believers? Can you raise your hand if you're a believer? If you're a believer, if you are going to heaven, if you died now, you know you would go to heaven. Let me see your hand. All right, then this is your letter. This is God's love letter to you. He said, instead of being drunk with wine, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Then you will, then you will, then the natural consequence of being filled with the Spirit You will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Can you imagine if we got to this place so full of the Holy Ghost that when people walked into church, How are you today, my brother, in the Lord? Oh, the Lord has blessed me all week long. Isn't He good? Yes, He's good. You would have revival right there. But instead we walk in. Praise God, the devil's all over me this week. I'm telling you, it was hell this week. Steve better play good, sing good. He better get me up because I'm down. And we see you. Yeah, full of the Holy Ghost and power. See, the New Testament pictures us singing to each other, greeting each other with a song because we're so filled to overflowing from worshiping all week long. Worship starts with a conscious choice to enter the presence of God. It's a conscious choice. Worship is a choice we make, not an emotion we feel. Psalms 95.2 says, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. And over and over again you find David saying, I will, I will, I will praise the Lord. I'm learning, I'm learning in my own life to think to thank. I'm learning to practice the presence of God because here's what I have found. Christians all the time will lean on something else other than the Spirit of God in times of stress. And here's what I'm discovering. 
if I will think to thank, if I will pause to praise. It happened this week. I got a phone call. And this phone call presented to me a problem. And my first reaction was, oh, great. Oh, great. Y'all know what that's like. Oh, great. That's just like today. And I stopped myself. And I said, now, God knew this was coming. God knew I was going to hear this. It, it was about somebody else, but, I, but it drew me in because it was a problem I was going to have to deal with. And so I stopped and I just said, you know, Lord, I just praise you. I just praise you. I'm just going to take a minute and I'm just going to praise you. And I hung the phone up and I just started praising God. And I found that that caused the Spirit of God to envelop me. And then all of a sudden what looked so big at first didn't look big at all once I had praised God. Because it says in everything, in the presence of everything life throws at you, give thanks in everything. Thing. When you get a flat tire, now Lord, don't hold me to this. I'm preaching it, I know, and I know you're hearing me, but I'm doing it in love. Don't make me go through everything that I'm saying. You get a flat tire, you praise God. Somebody looks at you bad, just praise God. You get some bad news, praise God. Pause to praise. It doesn't say thank Him for it, it says thank Him in it. The reason we don't experience the presence of God any better than we do is because we don't praise Him 24 hours a day. We try to get the whole tank full on Sunday morning from 10 to 11, and then it's got to last us all week long. So when we come in the next Sunday, we're going on fumes. you got to praise God every day in all things. Think to thank. Pause to praise. The Living Bible says, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. That's the way he wants us to live. So in rush hour traffic this week, I stopped at the Staples um, office supply place. As I was pulling in, there weren't very many places. There was one place right up front. I saw it first. And I put my blinker on first for this sweet, lovely woman in a huge tank SUV pulled right in front of me, almost clipped my car, parked like she hadn't done a thing wrong and got out. Now, I want to tell you, I didn't feel the Holy Ghost all over me. God was a million miles away. First thing that went through my mind is she doesn't know who you are. But then I thought, what have I been thinking about? And so I said, Lord, I just praise you. I praise you. You're sovereign. You'll take care of me. Big deal. I lost a parking place. Big deal. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God was all over me. I was practicing the presence of God. I didn't think about it one more time. But if I had not done that, that would have bugged me for an hour straight. Listen, folks, it's not worth being bugged by the small things in life. We've got to learn to praise God in all things. We've got to be praisers of God. You've got to praise Him. So we're to continually worship God. Continually. Not just in church. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had your own praise session when nobody was around and things weren't going your way? 
When was the last time you paused and praised that you thought to thank instead of complain, instead of murmur, which is so easy to do? When was the last time that happened? Now, this week, will you pause to praise? When you're feeling tired, praise Him. When you're disappointed, praise Him. When people wrong you, praise Him. Because then you're releasing God onto the situation. You're releasing God onto the problem and not negative, complaining, murmuring words. Can we stand together today? Can you say with me, we're to continually worship? Not just at church. Worship is an overflow, a consequence of walking in the Spirit. And finally, worship is a choice to practice the presence of God. Remember what it means? Prosokoneo. It means facing God with a kiss. So can we just lift our hands and just worship Him for Father, we just thank you, we praise you, we bless you. We bless you, Lord. We're going to adore you, for Father. And we're going to practice the presence of God today. This is not the worship hour. This is the worship hour. But this is not the worship hour. Our whole life is the worship hour. Jesus. Now just forget about the person.